0: Hello, everyone, Bill Wilson, senior editor of Supermarket News, and this is another episode of Supermarket News Off the Shelf. Today's topic is inflation, dealing with the last 52 weeks of inflation for grocery store items, along with the latest data that we can provide. And here we have is Jana Parker, and she is the principal of the Fresh Foods Team Lead at Circana. Jana, thank you very much for joining us today.
1: Thanks for having me, Bill. I feel like I'm. I'm glad we're not just talking about meat alternatives anymore. Inflation's a, a big deal that impacts everyone. So thanks for the opportunity.
0: Well, thanks for coming on. I Just want to ask you some general questions about uh, inflation with grocery prices, and um, you know the 52 week data that Cercana provided us um, shows that hey, you know, sales are up uh, in terms of dollars, and that's because of inflation, but unit sales, you know, and when you're talking about unit volume, in a lot of categories, and, and probably most of the categories, they're down compared to 52 weeks ago. So you, you, you want to maybe talk about the unit sales trend um, a little bit over the last year?
1: Sure. I think what's important is we always look at dollars, volume, and units, right? And it's a correlation of price. Literally, in our point of sale data, the average retail price is the volume or units divided by the dollars, depending on if you want price per unit or price per pound. And you're absolutely right. We've been watching this trend. You know, fresh foods, meat, especially as well as produce, really started to go up in cost at retail starting Q2 of 22. So the numbers at total store and certainly total food and beverage are a little bit misleading in a way. Now, one person could say that the headline, as we touted, right, in a lot of articles this month, that, hey, it's out of the double digits, right, in the most recent month of June. And it was also out of the double digits in May. the devil's in the details, because the reality is we're still paying 23% more on average per unit for food and beverage across the store, and that includes CPG as well as fresh. So that is the perception that consumers are taking to the store. In fact, in our most recent survey, even though we're starting to see the year-over-year average come down in many staple categories, 93% of consumers continued to tell us in June that they were concerned about price inflation. And we still see eight out of 10 consumers actively telling us that they are changing their shopping habits and choices due to food inflation so whatever the actual rate is and the relationship of dollars and units and volume is the stuff of statisticians like us i think the reality is, is in the consumer's mind what they're paying today is still more expensive what the value of trade promotions that we're giving them are not as impactful And we're seeing that manifest in the data. Almost every single department saw a decline in units this past year. In fact, I like to say when I talk about units and volume, especially at a category level, flat is the new up. And there are some standouts if you want me to get into it. There's definitely some places where unit or pound volume is surprisingly stable or up, let's say. One is, and I keep telling the story, but actually a deep dive on it for our clients this month in our, in our food and beverage publication, because the bakery department, which in our world would exclude the cookie cracker aisle, but does include the DSD uh, center aisle, as well as the perimeter bakery, is triple the dollar growth. Of regular food and beverage average it's also surprisingly buoyant in units when you dig deep into there the bakery department's a good parable for what the current state of the consumer mindset is in one case you have some very strong valued staples center store sliced bread is up now units are soft but dollars are up in part because there are many low priced value segments of sliced bread And yet, there's also some premium brands, some premium flavors, and some premium attributes like health and wellness attributes. People, despite this climate of concern, they're eating more sliced bread as a way to save money, but they're not racing to the lowest cost of the category. Similarly, we continue to see with our July 4th results that consumers were telling us they were gathering at home with more friends and family. In fact, they're getting ready. We asked them, What are you planning for Labor Day? And about eight out of 10 consumers are planning to get, they are also on Labor Day. We've also seen some early reads on Thanksgiving, similar rates. We're back to celebrating at home with our friends and families to have cookouts and, and celebratory meals. And we see it places like perimeter cakes, perimeter donuts, perimeter cookies, which are both everyday needs as well as special occasion needs. If we were really just inflationary animals who race to the bottom of everything, we'd go bake our own cake or you know, not eat a donut in the morning. So I think that the dollars unit volume relationship is absolutely price driven, but that's not to say that every category is behaving the same way.
0: So I, I heard us, I read something the other day and you can either confirm it or or just say it's a myth that, you know, the suppliers, you know, they bumped their prices up during the COVID-19 pandemic. And they haven't really been dropping them down too fast because they're not getting a whole lot of pushback for those higher prices. Can can you talk to that in any way? I don't know if that's truth or fiction.
1: Well, I can't speak for the supplier community because I would be uh, every category, certainly. I think what I've seen, though, is every category has had their woes in terms of getting food to the shelf or food to online now, too. And, you know, it's been rare that there's been a category or a supplier that I've talked with who has said, hey wow, my supply is in abundance. And honestly, where we see that is probably in produce, where I think there could even still be. You know, produce has always been a a department where there are some preferential, you know, cherries had a really bad crop year. They're having an amazing crop year. And guess what? We're seeing double digit growth in cherries year over year. But on the flip side, we're also seeing that every retailer, small and large, discount and premium, put cherries in their ad, at a really hot price in the front of their store. So all of a sudden, cherries being in abundant supply and offering these great value prices are now just table stakes. So I think one of the things that is more important is to take a look at a metric we call trade efficiency. So that is where if you've dropped the price of your item for a promotion, We usually do it based on a shorter 12 week window, right? But if you've dropped, if you run an ad, run a deal, run a price promotion of any court in in ad, out of ad, on store, in store online. But if you drop the price, do you get a lift increase? Do you get a bump above what you would have expected to sell for that category? And while I can't speak to the supply, I can speak to the fact that we benchmarked across all total food and beverage, as well as each individual department within food and beverage, and yes, at total food and beverage average, we are seeing about a 1% less trade efficiency or lift from promotions this year. We're also seeing in places like the meat department, arguably one of the most interesting, it's a passion point of mine that the meat department has always priced based on commodity. We've always kind of lapped our trade promotion deals because, hey, we promoted ground chuck this year, let's promote it next year, right? And what we found in the meat department, which had extremely high prices in 22 to cost uh, supply chain concerns, they've definitely, we saw by the fall of 22 and certainly the first quarter of this year, meat at retail started to come down in price. However, it's now actually promoting at a less price per pound than we even were a year ago across the meat department. And we're still getting less trade efficiency. So meat ends up being one of the most expensive things someone can put in a basket. It ends up being anywhere, depending on the trip from, you know, the average price, even on promotion at a, of meat is about $5 and 90 cents. Whereas the average price on promotion of, I'm just looking across your produce is $2.69. So you're spending triple when you buy meat than when you buy produce. So even when you discount it, people aren't necessarily looking at the percentage. They're looking at the value. It's one other stat that's truly important to look at that I'm monitoring every month. And we are here at Circana dollars, price, volume. Great. What about trips? Trips to any store for food and beverage is up 2% year over year. Now, I'm going to say that. And I bet you, because I've met with retailers and suppliers, they're like, what do you mean people are making more trips we're splitting our tickets we're making more quick trips in fact the average number of units in each of those trips so we're making more trips is about five percent less units so that's across all food and beverage so how people are choosing what to buy is less about the price that day and both our survey and our data support this they're very much thinking about necessity what they need And then when they know they need that food department or category, they're making a choice within that. So it's kind of a different driver. Price drives someone when they're either, used to drive people from the store to the store, but we're finding, right, there's only a few percentage of people who still read the circular ad. A lot of people have their group of retailers and then research what the price are. But then when they get to the store, they're seeking out those destination things on their list. And only then does price come into play when they're going, hey, is the attributes, flavors, variety of that from brand A better than brand B and worth that cost? So we have to really stop thinking about price as the lever that drives the demand growth because it's truly price plus assortment plus perception plus product. And I think when I look at these numbers, especially trade efficiency being down, I just thought it was some of my fresh food departments where we've always kind of had this roller coaster of commodity price. It is absolutely happening that we're starting to discount again, but we're not seeing the lifts. And at the end of the day, the average to consumers, that everyday base price being high, really gets moderated, especially in CPG with the trades. We've got to figure out a smarter and better way to trade, do trade promotion, so we get the demand back.
0: Well, looking at the food price index, last two straight months now, pretty much it's flat for a couple of months. Um, which obviously is good news for for shoppers, but at at what point are we gonna see it maybe go down a little bit? I mean, is it gonna be could could you see flat numbers for, you know, another couple of months?
1: There's a phrase my colleague and good friend who runs our analytics, Lance Goodridge, said to me recently. It's called a price cliff. At the end of the day, the market dictates our price. And I can speak for this on a lot of meat categories. We rose prices and retailers saw foot traffic leave and department share leak. And so really the actual price year over year isn't as important as knowing your price cliff and then not going over that. And I think that's gonna be kind of the buzz I hope we we talk a lot about. Um, we have all the stats to do it. It's actually a quick exercise for us at Circana to calculate category price cliffs and then corresponding what ha- how much volume do you drop when you reach above those price cliffs. But those guardrails in price which do change by retailer, by product and by category and even time of year, right? Um, That is truly the guiding light. We have so much data, both from Circana and so many other sources. And I think that's one of the things that's been interesting at some point in the last five to 10 years the e-commerce non-CPG category is like, let's say electronics or, I mean, it was just Prime Day, right? And so they were pushing a lot of electronics and home goods and, and things that weren't nearly sophisticated in their pricing as supermarket CPG in the past. But now they're utilizing real-time data to understand at what point do I price to where I'll lose volume and I won't gain back enough profit to make it worth it. That exercise is tail as old as time in econ. We can do it now today in a really rapid way in supermarkets, but that's the best exercise to look at. I think from that, I've seen evidence within supplier work I've done and retailer consulting I've done. When you figure out that cliff, it's gonna surprise you. And then the resulting actions are all guided by that North star.
0: Interesting, interesting insight there. Um- you know i wanted to talk about a couple specific categories yeah. one being cakes and one being um meat, deli meat mm-hmm. trays um sticking with deli meat trays first uh they had a huge increase over the last 52 weeks uh, i think it was somewhere between like 38% increase uh you know in, in unit sales um compared to last year and then we have cakes where it appears like groceries are starting to make their own cakes more because the younger shoppers like that shopping experience and want to buy their cakes at their store. And they don't want to be like, you know, pre-produced, frozen, whatever. What are you hearing on those two angles with the deli part and the bakery portion?
1: Yeah, let me define the categories uh, for a minute because I get asked this a lot. When I say the word deli tray, it probably evoked, as you said it, this vision of that big old platter of rolled up lunch meats. But the reality is is that increasingly what we're calling a deli tray would be a small charcuterie board where you've already curated some salamis and cheeses together. Now, this is in the deli, so it excludes some of the pre-packed branded items in the meat department. But what we're seeing when it comes to what we call deli trays is what I increasingly call the snacking generation, right? I mean, I will wrap myself out on a daily basis. I eat kind of a poor man's charcuterie board where I've bought a cheese I like and a salami I like, and that's what I eat while I'm sitting at my desk here. And that, you know, there's a little phrase that we were tossing around myself and Anna Marie Rohrink during the pandemic, instead of Netflix and chill, it became charcuterie and chill or Netflix and charcuterie, right? And charcuterie, as we would define it, but really specialty cheeses and some snackable lunch meats, maybe some olives or pickles. People love that because you can put a couple of different things on, you can curate your bite. And if there's two or three people there, it's great. So when we look at deli trays, I do want to note while some of the dollars is that people are gathering again, so we do see some strength in that. We also have really seen many brands pre-pack uh, those kinds of items together and families, even just families, or even one or two people are buying them to have that snacking experience we used to only have for a big party. Now, when they're all just, you know, going about their day. Um, our recent snacking study that we did um, was just so important to talk about the many frameworks with which people snack with. But ultimately the headline is we are eating more small meals more often. And I think those quote deli trays as well as things like berries are just inherently snackable and their snackability is what makes them more relevant today. It's also a great opportunity I think because in Delhi, and I'll talk about perimeter baker in a minute, but in Delhi, We often say, well, I've got, you know, literally, I think we're up to like the average store has about 300 plus SKUs of specialty cheese. And we all know there's a ton of deli lunch meat out in pre-pack, you know, pre what we call grab and go where it's by the pound of pre and then obviously behind the glass. So we offer all these people, all these options. They should just be, you know, picking it. Reality is, is Gen Z especially is a do it for me generation. They trust us in the industry whether it be their retailer or a brand curate the right flavors, ideas, concepts together, just like you can curate your Chipotle burrito. So the fact that there are boards that are either done by the retailer or by a manufacturer that have already put together the right things really taps into that do it for me component. Now, I will say the other converse trend, and still bring up perimeter cakes, is we do have to remember then though, in those moments where someone's making those choices and it's beyond the everyday, we do see younger generations look to mass supercenter and club for those occasions more than maybe a Gen X or baby boomer would have. Because Walmart and Costco and Sam's Club and Target have always had food for as long as these people have been shopping. We also have to remember that when it comes to things like charcuterie, as well as fresh anything, butchers and bakeries, we've really seen what we call specialty and independent markets come back. They've gained about a 1% share of the total fresh foods landscape in the last year. And while there's still only about 6% of the total dollar spent on total fresh foods, they are sizable in bakery and deli, upwards of 10 to 15%. So you think about that and now your traditional grocer who's worried about gapping his price on his carbonated soft drinks and his or her cereal is, you know, they actually have more people to compete with for that mind space. And that's where we get into perimeter cakes. I think perimeter cakes, just again, definitionally, are cakes that we've determined are merchandised in that what was commonly called the in-store bakery. We don't call it that because the reality is, is not everything's baked there, (laughs) right? And I think especially with cakes, a lot of it comes in and someone might decorate it slightly differently. But ultimately, what's driving the cakes category is really beautiful and differentiated items. I have not seen. I haven't done it deep recently, but what the pandemic taught us is you don't have to do it all yourself, Mr. Retailer, right? You no. don't need to hire a perfect bakery cake decorator because there's some really fantastic thon sell items that the consumer still will perceive as a value because you put them in context of other items in the store. Now with perimeter cakes just like deli charcuterie trays we do see this to be really prime not so much yes we had more graduation parties this past summer yay we're out of COVID. but we really can't lose sight of the five to 15 person gathering because that's what's really the sweet spot that's when someone's gonna go gosh i don't have time to bake a cake i might not be a very good baker how can i find something that fits this what we call multi-serve but not a party size cakes have done a nice job of that. We've seen some incredible cake displays at almost every major grocer now. And I think the only thing holding that category back from more growth is just thinking about the individual, the everyday, and then the party, and increasingly making that middle-sized easier to access. I would say the only thing that holds back, we get, we've done some work and You know, I think a lot of the really great cakes that are priced well for, let's say, we're having people over for a game night are behind a case. And what if that baker went home at 4 p.m. and now someone's there at 6 p.m., right? And they can't get that cake in the case. I think if we crack that nut, bakery cakes would be over even stronger. But again, it's less of a, that's a unit decline that I think is expected. This isn't an everyday item. This is where you want to draw someone into the bakery and have them gap you mentally to a fresh bakery or making it themselves and if you win your convenience and your adjacency to other categories in the store will win and that's what bakery cakes perimeter cakes are telling us
0: so we're running out of time here but i did want to get this last question in regarding the grocers and if there's one thing you could tell grocers to do over the next few months you know to deal with this inflation to deal with the increase in store visits but they're only buying you know A little amount at a time they're not buying as much as they used to buy what would you tell them
1: i'm a broken record with this but the big phrase that absolutely in this current climate holds true solutions not silos manufacturers sell items retailers have tons of organizational rigmaro to own categories products and market share truly the only person incented to grow that total retailers you know, bottom line is probably the CEO, right? (laughs) But at the end of the day, what we've seen is the foot traffic not entering the door hurts every merchandiser, every buyer, every category. What is the point of, you know, who are you to the consumers when you talk about the front of the store? And then if you are in a specific category or department or aisle, does the foods that you're presenting carry that through when I say solutions not silos you know we've looked a lot and talked a lot about the mindsets that are driving the trips and especially in this inflationary environment there's an important affordable essentials the must get right you know but again don't look at center store bread and think you know slice bread and think you just have to have the lowest price right we are seeing people do have the assortment that meets everyone's needs Then really, I think the mindsets that we don't nail, because it's just not intuitive to us. You know, we're set up in this industry for walking up and down every aisle and the way we shopped in the 90s. When it comes to the other mindsets of, hey, I'm having, I want to go, I want to indulge a little bit, either by self or because I'm having a party. We're not set up to set for a party. (laughs) We're just not. You have to walk every aisle and you don't even get, if you buy, I can't think of a retailer where if you buy a cake, you don't also get money off garbage bags, which by the way, are two highly correlated basket items, right? Right. So we're not set up for those occasions. And then furthermore, I think the big conversation coming out of this is gonna be where we win in convenience. The reality in many foods, fresh food center store foods is we're competing for share of plate and share of stomach. And now that we're Sarkana and we can see consumption and food service data, I think a lot is gonna be opened to the grocer to say, Hey, there's a whole segment of the marketplace where i'm not competing with the grocery looks like me down the street i'm trying to win more people back one last stat to leave you with for the first time since the pandemic we saw food service gain market share of what we now call total food and beverage or complete food and beverage so we are starting to see people say hey going to a quick service or a fast casual place is easier. I get to customize a little bit more. I don't have 10,000 choices. And even though my retailer, and I talk with retailers, I have just as good of burritos as Chipotle and sandwiches as Subway, and I'm so much cheaper than them. It just wasn't easy. I think solutions, not silos will remain kind of what I think will get us out of this. And honestly, test and learn. Now is the time to play around and see what works. Don't just assume that, you know, you, you know, it's really, we're really in some fertile ground here to test and learn.
0: Jonna Parker from Chicano, thank you very much for your insight. Great stuff.
1: Thanks so much, Bill. I appreciate you having me.